Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, and this week joined alongside Stephen Boughton of the Slice special guest as he's filling in for Mike McIntyre, who is uh, not feeling well this week. So, uh, Stephen, firstly, thanks so much uh, for stepping on and joining me uh, for the episode. No problem, Ben. Thank you for the opportunity. It's it's awesome to come on the Matchpoint Canada podcast and talk tennis, talk Canadian tennis to a fellow Canadian uh, tennis media member. So it's uh, <laughs> thanks for the opportunity. It's fun to be yeah. here. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's my pleasure and uh, plenty of action, I think, to just look back from this past week, tennis-wise, lots of storylines. Uh, we do have an interview upcoming that I had with uh, our special guest this week as well, Tennis Channel presenter Prakash Amritraj. Um, we have a third straight title from Rafael Nadal, Andre Rublev winning his 10th career ATP title, and a new world number one on the men's side, so a lot happening. We also had action in uh, Doha on the women's side and then Layla Annie Fernandez returning to action this week so a lot of storylines to to get to and um but I'll, I'll start with uh, what's going on with you Stephen and, and the slice because you guys have been uh building your Canadian platform I think alongside us has been great to follow um yeah just how how has 2022 been so far for the slice and um just uh growing your brand yeah, it's uh, been a been another good year. It's um, we you know we try and make media for you know the next generation of tennis fans, um, but that's that includes everybody, no matter no matter age, obviously, and with a Canadian focus as well. So it's been fun this year to, to really follow along. We started doing some watch alongs, or we call them watch parties with with during Canadian matches, which Ben uh, joined me on uh, during the Australian Open, which was fun. Mm-hmm. I, I know you had a worse time zone uh, than I did. So, uh, but then by the time it got to the final, it was absolutely just wild. You know, we're up all night long, uh, but that's, that's kind of like the yearly, like Christmas or uh, no, not Christmas for us, but like a sleep sacrifice that we do during the Australian Open. Great. So yeah, it's been a, you know, awesome tennis wise, awesome start to the year. And for the slice, happy to keep bringing the content that we bring. And yeah, I'm going to be in, uh, as I was just telling you before the podcast, I'm personally going to be pro- planning to be in Europe for the next six months covering tennis from the tournaments that are happening there during the clay and grass swing so lots of excitement uh over here yeah no that's uh and that's such an amazing opportunity i think for you and uh you do a great job i think with the slice of uh capturing not only like highlight reels um sort of match previews and and everything but also grabbing some interview moments that you've shared with a lot of players and uh putting them into little fun fun highlight reels which is great and always fun to follow along i mentioned off the top uh prakash amritraj is uh my interview guest this week tennis channel presenter he's um a fitness beast and i've spoken to him in in the past, but uh, we covered some topics and storylines, um, including Acapulco, Dubai, and, and what's going on. And, and Stephen, you and I will get more to that. But uh, for starters, here's my interview with uh, guest Prakash Amritraj. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Our guest this week, a former professional tennis player who reached a career high of number 154 in singles. He's a presenter for Tennis Channel, a fitness enthusiast, writer for GQ India. He's also actively working as an actor and producer. Happy to welcome back friend of the podcast, Prakash Amritraj, to the show. Prakash, thanks so much uh, for taking the time. Always appreciate it. And I apologize right off the hop. I always struggle saying your name. It's a bit of a challenge. 
No stress, no stress. You, you, you got me at a good time. Nice, relaxing Sunday in between workouts right now. Um, so I, I'm, I'm all yours. Well, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, just overall, uh, obviously, we're, we're back with a, a regular tennis calendar season. And I don't know about you, but it feels like it's, it's been some time since we've had that. And just working at Tennis Channel, how has uh, 2022 looked so far for you? Uh, it's been great. Uh, and, and whenever I use the word busy, uh, uh, you can interchange it with blessed. You know, because when you're having opportunities to work and do the things you love, and fortunately, all the stuff that you mentioned that I'm doing is all stuff I love. So the more opportunities I get to do it, speak about the sport that's given me so much or, you know, the film work or, or, or whatever it may be. I love it. So it's actually been quite busy. Um, February, I was in the studio quite a bit. Um, I did uh, two full weeks. I did a quick trip to Houston for an awesome feature shoot. I cannot wait until that's released. I think we're trying to release that. Um, during Indian Wells, when you know we have a ton of eyeballs on, on Tennis Channel. That's a really cool feature story. I'm really excited for you guys to see. I was in Houston, and um, I got one more week coming up, and, um, and then slowly getting ready for, uh, you know, Prakash Worldwide to, to you know, get airborne again. I'm so excited for the 1000s on the road this year, because I think we're going to have, like, full crowds, which is going to be crazy. You know, places like Monte Carlo, where, you know, the 1000 event there is like, it, it's it's like the event of the season to not have a single soul in the crowd last year and have the whole town shut down. It's such a stark contrast to the energy that the Monte Carlo country club normally has. So I'm really looking forward to all that kind of energy returning. Yeah. Yeah. That'll certainly be great. I mean, we, we saw some of that energy just this past week in Acapulco, Mexico, where the Mexican fans just like absolutely, absolutely adore their tennis. And you can hear just from all the players who were asked about their experience there, they absolutely loved it. And just to get into some tennis storylines, because I feel like we have kind of a lot already to digest and we're only just getting into March. Um, we have a new world number one and the first one, uh, uh, since 2004, not to be named Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, or Murray, Danil Medvedev taking over that mantle as the top spot. Um, do you think this is a good thing for tennis? Is, is it time to see a new face holding that number one spot? And, and what do you make of uh, the Russians' game? Uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, I, I think it's, look, we're, in, not in my lifetime, I don't think we're going to see the kind of era we've just had in tennis where you've had, Three goats. Normally, you're comparing Labor to Sampras. Mm-hmm. You know, you're comparing, um, you know, Margaret Court to Steffi Graf. You know, that kind of, it's generational. So you're not able to see how they would have fared against each other. This is wild because even though Federer started before them in his level of greatness, he's done it for so long. And then these guys came on. We got to see this time, which is just such a gift to all of our tennis fans. Personally, I don't think we're ever going to see three goats in the same level of maybe even two in the same generation like that. You usually have one guy really separate themselves. So I'm super excited to maybe return to a little bit more of the nineties where we had lots of different guys vying for titles, which is, which is how I see it on the WTA side of things right now. Yep. Are, I mean, you don't know who's going to win a slam and I love it. I think it's super exciting and there's nothing more exciting for me than a first time winner coming out. I know she's had a few struggles with her serve, but Yo, I can't wait to see when Sabalenka wins her first slam, which I think will happen. I can't wait to see when Pliskova puts it together and comes through. She was so close at Wimbledon last year. So I think same thing on the men's side. It's, it's, it's a beautiful time. Um, you know, you got, you know, Chapo, you got Felix. You know, I love 
the Canadian guys. I think they're both just so classy and two of the most fun guys you can watch on the tour. I think Delgado was a really good ad, Jamie Delgado for Shababalov's team. He's been around Andy when Andy's played his best, so he's bringing that kind of experience and knowledge. Um, and, and look, Felix has made great strides. He just won his first title, backed it up with another final. So I think it's a matter of time for them. So super exciting time for the men's game. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm super pumped. I, got, I think you got some real classy guys coming up on the, on the young side. And as far as Medibear, yo, you, you, th- there's, there's, um, there's no way of denying uh, the deservedness of when someone achieves this pinnacle. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care how you do it, but the, everyone has a different way. But the one thing that is a common factor is the willpower, the self-belief, and the grit that it takes is unparalleled. I don't care. And, and in a sport like tennis, which is so competitive, it's so global. It has so many people competing. All the credit and love in the world to him. And also, let me just say on a little bit of a sort of a meta level, he's never the kind of guy who seems like he's changed to appease other people. He seems like he's really done it his way. You know, he's always very forthcoming in the interviews. I interviewed him in Madrid last year. He's a top player in the world. And he's telling me about this on camera. I have no clue about this play stuff, man. I just, I just hate it. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm doing. <laughs> I have no plan. I'm like, this is so refreshing. Yeah. You know? And of course, he's, he's overselling it a bit because the guy is great. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he did well on play at the French and he's obviously getting better, but... I love that about him. You know, even when he won the U.S. Open, you know, he did that, you know, L- L2, you know, video game thing, <laughs> celebration. When he won in London, uh, the finals, he just, he gives it, he gives it this when he wins. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that he's being him and doing it and, uh, you know, all, all the power to him. Yeah, yeah, I love the authenticity. And uh, Prakash, you're going to go a long way of making so many uh, Canadian fans of giving out all the shout outs to, to Dennis and, and Felix. And uh, I, I love it because honestly, if I'm looking at probably on the men's side, if I'm pointing to like who have been the best three, four guys of 2022 so far, it's probably, you know, Rafa, Medvedev, Rublev and, and Felix. I, I would I would say he's he's taken such a step forward. And as you said, I, I think like this era right now um, that, you know, it's still happening, obviously, with the big three that some people will ask me, like, are you concerned about the state of tennis when Nadal, Fed, Djokovic retire? And I always say, like, no, we, we have so many fantastic players up and coming. And I really think that the sport's in a great place. I, I, you know, I think that's a ridiculous question when yeah. people ask that, because, look, tennis is a global. It's not like a sport that's played with two countries. You know, this is like the most global sport out there. You have so many people where it's cutthroat to like make a living at this thing. The money is increasing. So the stakes are getting higher. You mean to tell me some of the best athletes in the world are not going to rise? Cream's not going to rise to the top. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have beautiful storylines and times. And because it's so multicultural, you're always going to have beautiful personalities in different cultures, which is just always going to be there in tennis, which is one of our greatest things. And let me jump in and just tell you a little something about Felix and one of the okay. many reasons why I love this guy. First of all, I grew up idolizing, you know, the guys in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, Becker, Sampras, Edberg, these were my kind of guys, right? These all-court guys, attack the net, big strapping guys. First time I really saw Felix play was when I was at Queens covering the event in 2019. And he had a great run there and beat some really good guys. And he was, I don't even think he was 19 yet. I think he was 18. 
Yeah. This glorious serve, this serve and volley, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And just, just beautiful to watch. And I asked him in an interview, and a lot of the really young guys don't know a lot of where the history came from. Not just in sport. I'm talking about in music and entertainment, all sure. this stuff. You know, and I'm not having a conversation necessarily, an in-depth conversation about you know hip hop from the '80s with with a kid who's who's 18, right? <laughs> They're just talking about you know money bag yo and everyone out today. So I'm I'm talking to Felix and I talk. I bring up Boris Becker and I'm like, yo, this run you're having now gives me a little bit of those vibes when Boris first came out in '85, and he and he spoke very knowledgeably about that time. And wow. I'm like, wow, this guy knows his history. Then we were in Paris last year and I had to ask him. I said, Felix, he was doing the interview. We had this awesome stage right on, right up on center court in Paris. Tennis Channel always has the best real estate. And I asked him, Felix, I got to ask you, man, when you went to Indian Wells, you threw up a reel on social media and it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. It's, it's, it's the sun in the background, the palm trees, you know, the, those, those practice courts are at Indian Wells and he's yeah. ripping balls, looking as great as he normally does. And he's got Pox California Love playing on the reel. So I asked him, I'm like, Indian Wells, the sun, the shine, the, your game, and you're throwing Pac on there. Tell me about that. <laughs> and then he looks at me and goes, you know, I had to pay respects, you know, because I came to the West Coast. And I'm like, that's how you went over for Kalash Amatai. That's how you win me over. And I just, I love the kid. He's got such a great respect for those who came before him, mm -hmm. uh, you know, artists, tennis players, all this stuff. And I think that's part of why you gravitate towards him so much. You know, he knows the people that came before him and he's still able to pave his own way. And I don't know, maybe that's just a personal thing. I could not love that anymore about the kid. And he's also like the classiest guy out there. Like he's, he's, he's genuinely a gentleman. Like he always shows great sportsmanship, always has the nicest things to say about his opponent, always competes with um, the right kind of attitude. You know, I think it's someone that kids can look up to. 100%. So in case you haven't figured out, I'm an FAA fan. <laughs> we we love that and yeah even just respecting history and re respecting his elders like the other week i think in marseille after playing joe wilfried's song uh, he, he shared like this endearing post of like this guy was my childhood idol like it was a dream to share the court with him and as you said just uh, such a a classy representation on and off the court we love him here in canada so uh no that that's that's great i i gotta go back and watch that reel um that that's hilarious just go check it out man i'll try to find it and send it to you i just that's that's fantastic um we should just touch on rafael nadal because not only did you know he opened this his season winning a, a record 21st grand slam title but uh i was almost a little surprised that he even took the trip to compete in mexico and acapulco given what he's he's endured with his body um the, the six months off with the foot issue but now he's he's posted the best start of the year in his career 15 and 0 three titles this is all on the hard court surface i mean i, I don't know I, i'm running out of su superlatives to, to describe this guy like warrior fighter we, we've said it all and yet he keeps coming back and, and does it over and over again are you are you surprised uh no <laughs> I'm not I'm not surprised, but uh, I'm I'm very appreciative, mm -hmm. you know, that we get to uh, witness these kind of feats. Um, uh, let me say my, my two favorite things about Rafa. Um, you know, I, I got I got a, a vision board that you know people inspire me. This that and, and Rafa's on there. You know, not not because of what he's achieved, but he's the kind of guy, along with a few other guys, that you know uh, that when I see a picture of him, it 
it just gives me that instant reminder to give a little bit more to whatever I'm doing, you know, just to try that little bit harder. And for me, the fact that he's, he's like a symbol of that, of, of something more, you know, like, like they say, I forget which Batman it was, it was one of Nolan's Batmans. It might've been in the second one, Dark Knight, but mm-hmm. you know, he talk, Bale talks about being something more, you know, a, a symbol. I think it was Batman Begins actually. And honestly, Arapa's like gravitated towards like to that for me. I think Jordan's like that, Kobe's like that. It's, it's not, a, he's not a guy who's made all these achievements. He's like a symbol of what it is to kind of give of yourself everything. And he does that every time he steps on the court. And that's probably my favorite thing about him. Second favorite thing is, you know, his attitude. And I remember in, in 2019, I was at the finals and he, lo- and he beats Medvedev in the round robin. He was down 5-1 in the third set. Yeah. And, and he comes off and I'll never forget this quote. He says, the children shouldn't be inspired by the fact that I won the match from 5-1 down. They should be inspired by the fact that when I was down 5-1, I never threw my racket or I never got angry. And I'm like, that's it. I, I, this is all personal because everyone loves different things. Sure. That's, that's what I love. Those are the two things that I admire the most about Rafa. And when you embody those two things, nothing surprises you. The guy's had the greatest start to his uh, season of, and he's been at it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he's doing this now and this year. You know, this is a guy who everyone said his body would break down. He wouldn't last more than a decade. And look at what he's doing at this age. It's, it's mind-blowing, it's astounding, it's inspiring. And uh, I'm not also surprised that he came to Acapulco. One, it's, it's an amazing event. And, That's true. you know, when you get to a point like Rafa where money doesn't matter, um, you know, honestly, rankings don't matter either, really. Whether he gets back to number one in the world, like, who cares? You know, he's after slams and stuff. But he's very into, uh, I think, fulfillment and what life is about. And he truly enjoys his life. You know, he, he enjoys giving his all in front of people, that energy exchange between everyone. So, and I think that's at a high level in Acapulco. It's an amazing experience and, and, and crowd over there. And it's a very enjoyable week. So I'm not surprised. And he knows what it takes for him to uh, peak at certain events. So he's not going to go from Australia, skip everything to the clay court season. He needs his event. So maybe he plays Acapulco yeah. in these two. If he wins Indian Wells, maybe he pulls out of Miami. Who knows? play his certain clay court swing that he needs to, depending on how many matches he wins, gear up for the French. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly under, understands, I think, how to manage that schedule. And he sort of said, like, if I skip Acapulco and Indian Wells, I wouldn't be a full-time tennis player, which, uh, of course, he, he wants to be. Um, Love that. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. I'll just, I guess, touch on the women's side because, as you mentioned, we have Indian Wells coming up. And I, I just feel like navigating the multitude of storylines right now in women's tennis is, is almost tough to do because we have so much happening. Like of course, Ash Barty wins the Australian open and at Contivate has been to seven WTA finals. The, the past half year won five of them. Yelena Ostapenko is suddenly on a run. We have Iga Sviantek winning big, big hardcore titles. I guess when you're touching down in, in Indian Wells to, to cover uh, the men's and the women's, what are you looking for in terms of stories on, on the WTA side? You, you, you took the two out of my mouth. I was going to talk about <laughs> uh, Antovate and, and Ostapenko, really. Um, I mean, look, the, the run that Ostapenko had, I believe it was just in Dubai, you know, she, she, her first four matches, she took out four Grand Slam champions, yeah. you know? And, and if I remember correctly, she threw a couple uh, onion and sesame bagels in there too, you know? And, and that's, that's not easy to do, but I think that proves the fact that when she's got her head together, 
and and she's not you know being her own worst enemy she's the kind of player who can take the racket out of your hands like she hits that big mm-hmm. so you know the fact that she's kind of in a good spot mentally physically moving pretty well she's she's always a threat you know she obviously won the french but uh, certainly on hard courts um contivate man where do i start boy she competes well there's there's nothing that can replace match wins you know when you're when you're winning so many matches it's a habit you know it's like you, you know when you wake up in the morning you kind of you, by the time you realize you've already had your morning coffee you've brushed your teeth you put on your clothes and you and you don't even know what happened because you're an autopilot when autopilot can be winning that's a, <laughs> that that that's the spot you want to get to so that's where you balance not playing too much versus this and that so she's she's really going to be a threat you know that's a that back end is a beautiful thing to watch um but i will say having said that i i said this in a conversation not too long ago i think even though so many people can win on the women's tour right now i think ash barty is in a league of her own mm-hmm. just because she's she's been at number 1 for some time now it's it's so like it's a part of her she she knows what she needs to do she manages herself when she's not playing too great still manages to win and she's got so much variety and i think variety is is one of the most dangerous weapons on the women's tour everyone bangs the ball and hits the ball so well she she finishes over the sidelines instead of the baseline she uses a slice so well mixes up top she's she's just one of the most intelligent players i've seen on a, on a tennis court so you got to still put her as as the favorite um and then and then the last one you mentioned iga listen she blew me away when when she won the french and, and the manner in which she did it you know i don't i don't think she went past 6-4 in a set Mm-hmm. So when she's able to do that on a hard court and kind of apply that kind of timing and the same thing that she's got going on a clay court there's there's no real way to go there's no uh, sorry there's no place to go because she doesn't really have a weakness you know I can't really pinpoint which side is worse for her you know her forehand and backhand are so strong and look she's still young so she's still kind of settling in and and look winning on a regular basis is is very different than being able to have a big event here and there so she's certainly a threat but um yeah I think I think you got you have to not look at Ash as a favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's uh I think someone explained it well uh talking about Ash Barty. Uh they told me she plays like nobody else on tour and I I thought that was kind of a great description to describe just just how difficult she plays. She really does things on court yeah. that nobody else is doing and and how do you kind of counter that? It's it's so so difficult to do, right? Well, so does Benoit Pair, but that's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Different kettle of fish. Yeah, that's 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 true. Um We'll we'll wrap up shortly. I want to ask just um for Cash Worldwide as you mentioned off the top coming for 2022. You're an actor and and producer. What's uh, I guess yeah, what's what's new and exciting on on the horizon for you in, in that front? Um we have about five films uh that are finally shifting to the front of our slate, which is super super exciting. One which I cannot wait to tell everyone about that we're going to start at the top of 23. um but uh when we get a little bit further i'll tell you about that uh, everyone um especially in the tennis world is going to be very excited about that nice i love that and uh okay we'll wrap with a a fun segment i like to call rapid fire questions um just kind of put you on the spot you can give a quick answer uh just so we get to know you a little bit better uh first one what does your ideal breakfast look like um Now we're talking like regular meal prep or are we talking about, you know, anything I want cheat meal day. Uh yeah, yeah, why don't why don't you give us uh both actually. Give us the cheat meal and and the the regular prep. 
All right, regular prep probably looks like egg whites, some kind of carbs, whether it's cream of rice, uh, oatmeal, and, and some fats. And, and I can't get enough almond butter, so I'll throw some almond butter in there, mix it up, fantastic. Um, now we go in whatever I want. We're definitely doing buttermilk plain pancakes. I'm talking about soft beauties, right? And then uh, probably like a good breakfast burrito with some chorizo in it and mm. some sweet potato fries. Love it. Love it. Pancakes are, are near perfect. I would add some, some chocolate chips in there personally, but, or blueberries maybe. <laughs> uh, no, that's, I love that. Um, are you a morning or a night person? Morning, not even close. Okay. Um, what's a place in the world you have not traveled to, but you would absolutely love to go? South America. Okay. South America. South America. Probably Brazil, a, a bunch of countries, but for sure. South America. Who is currently your favorite actor? It's always been Will Smith. Okay. Favorite actress? I got, oh gosh. Got a lot out there. Um, oh God. You have to pick one over the other. That's true. Uh, I'm a Jennifer Lawrence fan myself. So I think she's really good. She's fantastic. Oh man, you're killing me, bro. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll do. I'll just go back to my younger days. I mean, it, it's tough to beat Holly Berry in in, in anything. But um, nice. you know, if you want to pick someone, you know, kind of now, um, oh, I'll tell you who did a great action movie was um, uh, the lovely actress who is super talented and good, who was in Molly's Game. Um, I'm, I'm blanking right now. Oh, Molly's Game. Um... Jeez. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Jessica. Okay. She's, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite uh, workout to do? Um, I mean, which body part? Because, you know, lifting is my, I mean, I love lifting. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, favorite muscle building workout we'll say? Toss up between uh, chest, chest and arm. I mean, I always do arms and shoulders because those are my weak points. So I'll throw those in at the end. But it's a tough call between chest and legs. Okay, nice. Feel great after chest, but legs is when you get into the pain and you enjoy it, mm, nothing like it. Ah, that's good. That's, that's the uncommon answer, so I like that. <laughs> uh, if you could meet any person in the world, who would it be? Do they have to be living? No, living or dead. Muhammad Ali. Okay, that's a, that's a perfect answer. Um, who is the fittest and strongest athlete you see right now in the men's game? Two different things. Yeah, well, okay, let's go fittest. Probably like, I mean, you probably got to go with Djokovic. You know, he's, he's out of competition, right? Because yeah. he's not match fit. But assuming everyone's playing, I think it's going to be, it's tough to beat Djokovic. And strongest, you probably got to go with Martin Fucevic. Dude is ripped. And I'm giving it a Sakari on the women's side. That's, that's, a, that's a great choice. And um, last question, I suppose. Who is, who is your role model? I mean, since, since I was born, it's always been Pops. 
Love that. Love that. And was, he was a fantastic player uh, as well. I hope you guys can still get out on the court uh, when you guys have the time. Um, Prakash, we always appreciate your time coming on uh, Matchpoint Canada. Thanks for, for all the insights and knowledge. And uh, we'll be checking out all your content in 2022 and uh, when you're on Tennis Channel as well. Of course, my man. Keep, keep checking it out. And I uh, can't wait to chat again soon. There you have it, my conversation with Prakash Amritraj. You can follow him on Twitter at Prakash Amritraj, and you can find him on Instagram as well. Awesome content there. Uh, him and I spoke a bit about Rafael Nadal and what he loves uh, about him as a competitor, and uh, just breaking down some of the numbers from like what he's done now, winning Acapulco in the title. So. 15 and 0. He's played three tournaments, won three titles, and that brings his overall haul to 91 titles. 25 of them are on hard court. It's 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 wild to me that the term like clay court specialist ever was relative to clay for Nadal. Yes, that's totally. I think I saw you say that on Twitter, and yeah, it's absolute blasphemy to now say call him a, a clay court specialist. Like you have just you've removed yourself from legitimacy if you if that's part of your argument. If you're arguing against him for any reason, I don't know why you wouldn't just be appreciating the absolute greatness that we are witnessing. Um, yeah, because like you said, since since early on in his career, he's been a threat outside of clay. You know, Wimbledon final 2007, 2008, winning it. Uh, and then on hard court, you know, winning masters and slams and, you know, he's, he's been an all court weapon for so long, you know, arguably the goat. Um, so yeah, it's just no difference. I guess we have a bit more of a surprise now, you know, him at 35 now coming off of foot surgery, the six month layoff, we like, didn't know we've all talked about it, but just an, un, you know, couldn't be a better start to 2022 for Rafa. No losses, three tournament wins, just absolute legend. Yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And uh, Cam Norrie for me was a surprise finalist here. Like he started the season th- slowly. I think he had a loss to Sebastian Corda at the Australian Open. And I think like if we were probably looking at the season ahead of time, you're looking at like who's the guy who's going to move up a little, who are some guys who are going to maybe move down a little. Like Cam Norrie's 2021 was ridiculous, right? It was a, a career year. He had, you know, over 50 match wins. He was on fire. So I think he was the type of player like we probably looked at and said, I think we're, you know, maybe expecting a little less in 2022. But after that, like early exit in Australia, he's been really, really solid. He, he won the t- the ATP 250 in the U.S. and then comes over to, to Acapulco, and makes a final beat Pass. Like he's an impressive left-handed player. Absolutely, Ben. He's he's a guy that I feel has just absolutely maxed out his his game. And you know, he's it's 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 a cool case study because I watched him. I was at physically at the 2020 Delray Beach Open. He was there and I had a quick chat with him, you know, after one of his matches, did a little interview and he was, I think he was around 50 or 60, maybe 70 rank in the world there. And, you know, I was looking at his game and, and we were watching it. We'd watch him practice. And I was just like, he's got a, he's got a huge forehand. He's got a nice game, but I just really, I thought then he kind of maxed out his, his level of where he'd been at or where he's going to get to. I was like, he's a nice player, like kind of like middle of the road, top hundred player, which right. is amazing for the world. No, no shade on that. Most guys <laughs> would be happy to be there ever, but he's really found ways to get better without from like the, you know, the average tennis fans, eye changing anything, right? Like he's just found ways to win more matches, be more efficient. Uh, and is yeah, it's like his forehand has turned into like one of the elite ones on the game, especially being lefty. 
and how much angle he can find uh, with it. So yeah, he's, he's been super impressive because I almost think in a way it's more impressive to, to find ways to use the resources you have to get better than just be like a freak of nature, like kind of like a Carlos Alcaraz or even right. a city pass where it's like everyone expects you to just be top, you know, number one in the world and like, and win slams where, where a guy like Nori's a bit more like relatable on the physical level, maybe sure to, to, uh, to most people. But, uh, he's just, yeah, unbelievable tennis player. And he's like got himself into the top, top, top of the ATP, which is, which is amazing. Yeah. I I'm, I'm impressed that he's, he's staying up there and, and number 12 in the world. He would have cracked top 10 actually, if he had pulled off an upset right. over Nadal in the final and credit to him for fighting back actually in the second set, it looked like Nadal was kind of just running away with it. He had a double break, but Nori breaks gets one of those breaks back and, and pressured him a little bit. And um, as you said, kind of maxing out his skills, just finding, I think like new patterns and variations to, to win points and big win over Stefano Tsitsipas. The big storyline, I guess, going into Acapulco, was obviously world number one ranking um, up for grabs for Danil Medvedev. He took it, of course. He, he did take it by virtue of a Novak Djokovic loss in Dubai. To me, that is okay, but it's, you know, this stat was shared on tennis.com 6,601 uh, 6, days since we'd have uh, a different number one outside of our big four of Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, and Murray, which is absolutely bonkers really but i for me i guess you know we're well beyond the next gen but mevedev was probably that guy who was going to peg as your next number one yeah yeah and it's it's almost refreshing and i think it's well deserved like i mean it's it's well deserved in one way but you know i djokovic kind of he held three of the slams and then he wasn't able to play australia yeah and then he kind of lost it so I'm not taking anything away from Medvedev because the last time those two guys played in a grand slam final, Medvedev won it. So he kind of, as far as we know it lately, uh, you know, Medvedev's the guy to beat. Well, I guess Nadal's maybe the guy to beat on hardcore right now, but um, Medvedev's, yeah, he's the guy who's kind of elevated himself out of that next gen. And it makes sense after his 2019 fall run and coming into 2022 or 2020, he was like the most developed next gen player who again, had brought himself out of kind of like that 50 rank in the world where he was, he kind of coasted there for a while. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, I think when he's confident and he's playing the best, he is like, he might be the hardest guy to beat in the world right now. Like, I think he, you know, obviously Nadal's got him twice in a row now, which is actually pretty surprising to me, especially from where we were at two sets down at the Australian Open. I don't know if we'll talk about that on this <laughs> podcast, but like, it, yeah. it's, he, he is the, he's probably the number, you know, in, like there's the number one rank. Is he like the best player in the world right now? That's up for debate, I think. But the rankings, you know, it's they don't they don't lie in a way. <laughs> Maybe that's debatable. Maybe they do lie with COVID, right? Because the pandemic has unfortunately affected the rankings of the ATP for the last couple of years now. It's it's you know it's gone from outside of a twelve month cutoff, and then you know it's included more tournaments, or it's you know there's been times where we haven't been playing, or like this, Djokovic didn't get to play the Australian Open, so Medvedev, you know, he lost points there. But I guess Medvedev, it's going to be up to Medvedev now to prove that he's the number one player going forward by getting results. And that's actually been a thing. So I don't want to take all the time on this, but that's actually been a thing where I feel like he's struggled mentally. Because if you remember last year, I think he could have taken the number one ranking in Miami like almost a year ago. Yeah. If he had won it. Right. And he was Nadal wasn't there. Djokovic wasn't there. So he was the favorite to win. And he, he kind of seemed like he got a bit tight, got a bit jumpy with that kind of pressure of 
of becoming number one, but then it doesn't make sense because he didn't get jumpy with the pressure of beating Djokovic in the final of the U S open when he like, he like crushed him. So it's like, I think that number one rank was important to Medvedev and he, and he felt pressure to get it. And now it's weird that he got it. And then he lost, you know, obviously you can't really blame him for losing to Nadal, but I wonder if he, I wonder if Djokovic had, you know, gone to one Dubai and then Medvedev had to win Acapulco to get the number one spot. I wonder if that would have changed anything. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's tough to say. And it was, you know, score lines can, be very misleading sometimes in tennis as you know like you read Nadal beats Medvedev 6-3-6-3 and you're thinking like oh well like pretty routine victory Medvedev was 0 for 11 on breakpoint opportunities in this match which is a wild statistic and um, an unbelievable 3-2 game that the two of them played in the second set of that match I think it was 20 minutes long like at least maybe 10 deuces just ridiculous level felt like Nadal was you know, bringing his best, producing something epic every time he was facing a break point. So I didn't feel like it was sort of tightness on Medvedev's racket necessarily in those opportunities, but uh, misleading on that scoreline that it, it was a close match in their in their semifinal clash, Medvedev and Nadal. For me, he is certainly like he's certainly a class above anybody else outside of the big three and kind of just two right now because Federer, of course, is, is not on the tour. Um, but yeah, kind of startling. He's one in five against Nadal in that head-to-head. You'd expect it would be tighter given the number of times they've squared off on a hard court. And I understand a few mm-hmm. of those meetings would have come earlier on in his career. But um, yeah, I actually said it in a tweet. You know, right now, Danil Medvedev is the world number one. The best player of 2022 on the men's side, though, is the 15-0 and three titles, Rafael Nadal. And we'll, we'll see what changes um, with Indian Wells in Miami, obviously, opportunities and uh of course, an unclear status for Novak Djokovic going forward too on what he can play, what he can compete yeah. in. Yeah, it's you're right. That's a great tweet. He's the number one player <laughs> in the world, but the best player of 2022 has been Nadal. And it's it's crazy. And I, I wonder how Met, I think that loss in Australia really like actually affected it affected Medvedev as you were in the media room there. It really obviously he was upset about the crowd afterwards. Mm-hmm. And he knows he should have won that match against Nadal. Let's let's just be honest here. He should have won that match about six times, but he, he was in the absolute position to win. And he just he's he probably couldn't sleep after that. But Nadal had an amazing comeback, obviously. But he Medvedev was kind of like after he won that second set, he was like clearly the better player in that match up till that point. And then he let it go. So I'm wondering if that's going to be like an Achilles heel, that kind of loss where he's like, am I, am I, do I have the ruthless mentality? Like people thought of me as like the guy who was like just robotic, but kind of showed some, some interesting weakness there. Another point, like you say, like he has like the best, he he has risen above the rest of the next gen players. And with the Djokovic having the mismatches, you know, it's obviously a super hot topic and we won't get into like the debate of why that is, but like, there's a lot of grief in men's tennis right now in a, in a way where like we see a guy like Dominic team, not playing at his potential. He can't even mm-hmm. play right now. He hasn't played for a year. If he had kept up his level after 2020 us open, we'd have Medvedev and team who are both world beaters to yep. beat Nadal or Djokovic on any surface. Maybe not Medvedev couldn't beat Nadal or, or Djokovic on clay. Let's, let's sure. not get crazy here, but like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're the two next guys who could absolutely have both won majors now. Yeah. And so I'd love to see team get back to his, his, his potential, which is, I think world number one, he could be there. Um, I'd love to see obviously Federer playing again. And I'd love to see Novak Djokovic playing in every single tournament. I think we all would. It's just, you know, it's just unfortunate the way the world is right now and the way his you know, beliefs are, and they're not aligning in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't wait for, you know, 
all the players to get back to their best and then really see where the dice falls as the rankings. I feel like we'll get a better sense of it probably like after the U S open. Which would make yeah. Sense. Yeah. That, that, that's true. And I'm, I'm hopeful maybe normalcy in terms of who's playing and hopefully everybody like clay court season, at least we'll, we'll see one yeah. more incident i will call it that we do have to touch on in acapulco and you were discussing this on twitter too was uh alexander zverev and his behavior which uh was shocking upsetting to a lot of people it was came actually in a first round doubles match which to me is even more surprising um but he was playing first round doubles alongside uh, marcelo Mello, and they lost their first round match there was a line call that zverev highly disliked in the third set super tie break he lost his mind over this call and then after the match um you see him striking his tennis racket just below the feet of the chair on fire multiple times goes over to his bench comes back and and whacks at him two more times like very aggressive violent behavior um he was kicked out of the tournament forfeiting all prize money of course hit with a forty thousand dollar fine and i've heard no word yet of a suspension but this has been like, I think an issue maybe bubbling for tennis for some time now in dealing with players who are either verbally or violently abusive towards chair umpires. And it's something that obviously has to leave the game. And I think the way you take it out of the game is you hit them with not just fines, suspensions, you punish that behavior severely. And I think that's something that has to happen for, for Sasha Zverev. I agree. Uh, every, yeah, it was, it was wild. Like I couldn't believe it was, it was bad. It was really, really bad because it wasn't just like, you know, remember when now Bandy and like kicked that little wooden thing in front of the line judge thing. Cause mm-hmm. he was just frustrated about his tennis and he didn't think it would break. And then it broke into the guy's shin and kind of cut him. Yeah. This is different because Zverev was like trying to intimidate the umpire basically. Correct. And, like he was violent. You know, he knew he wasn't trying to hit the umpire, but it was like, he was doing it to like, like show his frustration. Like it's, and it was, it was just horrible to see, obviously cannot happen. Had to be kicked out of the tournament. Makes sense. I think Zverev, after he like came back to his consciousness, I don't know what happened to him out there. He realized that he obviously apologized profusely, but um, it's just like a moment, like players lose their mind out there. Like it happens, like, especially with anger, like it makes sense, but that's taking it to a whole nother level that we haven't really, I haven't, I haven't really seen anything like that. Uh, towards another, like there's the John McEnroe, like you cannot be serious. Like, yeah, nothing like that. Though. Thing. Like mm-hmm. verbal abuse is one thing, and it's just like a physical intimidation. It's kind of like a whole another ball game. So I'm interested to see. Like I've seen everyone on Instagram, like on our on our posts, like saying, you know, he needs to be suspended six months. He needs to be fined 500 grand, whatever it is. And I, and my unpopular take I tweeted out was like, I don't think he'll be suspended at all. And but I guess it's still pending. Like he could still be suspended, but like what they came out with a $40,000 fine on, you know, that doesn't, you know, Sasha's Zverev doesn't. Yeah. That's chump that. change. Right. So he doesn't notice that that's not going to do anything. So maybe a $500,000 million dollar fine. That would hurt maybe. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of money, but like, yeah, like I, I don't see him getting suspended for six months because the ATP is clearly when it comes to social issues, not willing to forfeit revenue for, for a moral stance, right? Uh, take that how you will. Um, we've seen that in a bunch of different cases with Zverev in the past, um, yep. kind of saying more about allegations. Again, that's a bit st- tricky as well because they're not criminal allegations. They're just they're just in a magazine allegations, which are still valid and real, uh, and they should be addressed. But you know, Peng Shui, lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, the ATP is not willing to, and 
they're not willing to see me like do this type of thing. So I would be surprised if he, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't get any suspension. Unfortunately, you should, we should be surprised. Cause I feel like this doesn't deserve a suspension, but if it, he does maybe like just like the sunshine double and then back into it, that would be like the most I could see happening. Cause otherwise it like takes it like severely affects the rankings and for them, they want to have the rankings mean something. And if, if stuff keeps happening to them, right. Like Djokovic and, and you know that people just don't care about the rankings all of a sudden that doesn't help the, the atb product going out to, to viewers i think so unfortunately yeah. i don't i don't know if they'll crack down as hard as they definitely should i think we all agree that this was wild and the only way yeah you're gonna like you said get it out of the game is to make it way too painful for the player to act like this if they're gonna do that they gotta know that oh i'm not i'm gonna lose my income i'm gonna lose this type mm-hmm. of thing so yeah. Yeah. And I, I think these are some of the issues they're, they're going to have to maybe look at review as an organization because it's a problem. As I said, it's been bubbling for a long time. We know Alexander Zverev, as you said, had the allegations of domestic violence from his ex-girlfriend, uh, which were published, but not criminal allegations, as you pointed out. And there was supposedly a pending investigation from the ATP into that issue. But uh, the accuser, Olga, has indicated they've never once reached out to her for any conversation and surely that would be you know paramount to conduct a proper investigation you have to speak <laughs> with the accuser um, which apparently hasn't happened and uh, we saw the display of violence I think towards a chair umpire from Sasha's Verov a lot of people are starting to to wonder like well we we see the way he's behaving on a tennis court here it, it's not that hard to fathom maybe he behaves poorly and violently off the court so I would like some type of suspension. I'm just not confident there hasn't been a precedent for that in terms of other bad behavior we have we have seen. We haven't seen many suspensions at all. So, um, yeah, yeah, something like, has to change. <laughs> something does have to change because even Medvedev at the Australian Open, like as much as I thought it was hilarious, like him calling him, just the way the way he called the umpire a small cat, like I thought it was hilarious. And like sure, but then but it was like kind of insane when he's like, look, like you know, he's just yelling at the umpire, like. And, you know, we've seen Djokovic do all this, like, unfortunately, as, as the leader and the number one player in the world, he, he has been pretty, like, he's yelled at umpires before, like, he's yep. yelled at, he's thrown rackets in you know, empty stadiums before. It does seem like it's kind of, pick, like, getting a little bit worse. And we've had, we had great examples with Federer and Nadal, like, they'll have arguments with umpires, everyone gets pissed, but there's a level of gentle, there's a gentleman, like, that's not gentlemanly what Zarev did, obviously, it's not gentlemanly what Novak has done in the last couple of years, either, in some ways, but we're losing a bit of that and it needs to be reined in because yeah, it's, it's, you know, the umpires are paid a lot and they're there to, they're there to run the match smoothly, but they're not there to get, you know, have to dodge rackets. Like that's just ridiculous. So yeah, com- completely ludicrous. Uh, you were listening to match point Canada, the official podcast of tennis Canada. You can find us on Twitter at match point can our special guest co-host this week Stephen Bouton of the slice joining us uh in place of Mike I want to shift quickly over to the action from Dubai and I mean this guy is just the ATP 500 king Andre Rublev he loves these tournaments Uh, he's dominated them for so long and I was a little bit stunned to to see like this is his 10th career ATP singles title capturing Dubai beating a a surprise finalist Yuri Vesely in the finals but 10 titles already at at age 24. And I think when you look maybe at the overarching career that the Russian has had, some people would say like, well, we're missing a big time result at a grand slam. I know he's, he's been to quarterfinals before, but overall consistency throughout the tour, he's been 
outstanding really at, at these types of events. Yeah, he has. And yeah, like, sorry, that was his 10th overall title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he's, you know, if I was just looking right quickly, pulled it up here in the top and the most titles ever won Roger Federer is the most at 103, but the number 10 person is at 30 and that's Leighton Hewitt. So Andre Ruba is already a third of the way there to the top 10 of all time tournaments, which is you yeah. know, pretty amazing. So yeah, he's the ATP 500 like King. It seems right now on tour. He, I really, it was really impressed this week and, and last week, I think it was Marseille. He won or, or mm-hmm. yeah. French, one of the French tournaments, his serve has, has gotten, it seems like it has some more pop on it, or he was just serving at a super high percentage. This tournament, it's become a lot more of a weapon. And that was the one thing where he felt like he was, he had hit a bit of a ceiling with that part of his game. Um, so yeah, awesome for him. Awesome tournament for him. Uh, and, and, uh, Yuri Vesely <laughs> tournament of his life, um, played, you know, he looked like he wasn't playing out of his, like, even like, out, like out of his socks. Like he didn't look like he was redlining. Like he looked like he was just playing some like amazing tennis, um, beating Shapovalov, which is obviously super painful for Shapovalov. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but we'll I'm talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I got some thoughts on that, Yeah, but, uh, yeah, just, you know, the, I love these two Acapulco Dubai tournaments set up the American kind of spring in, my, in the sunshine double. Um, but yeah, Rublev animal in the ATP 250 or ATP 500. Yeah. ATP 500 is really, really any hardcore tournament. I, I view him as a threat until we, I just want to see a big run at either a masters 1000 or a grand slam. And I, I do think he can get there a uh, great title for him. Um, Yuri Vesely shocks Novak Djokovic. And I would have forgiven him for running out of steam after pulling that off in a huge quarterfinal upset. He's now two and zero against Novak Djokovic. He beat him in on clay and Monte Carlo a handful of years ago, I believe in 2016, he was a very talented junior. He won uh, the junior boys title at the Australian open back in 2011. Um, but he had some issues, I think, with COVID and an injury. He actually had a brief car accident, I believe, last year. So he was mm-hmm. kind of hurt for a month. You saw his ranking dip outside the, the top 100, but he's been inside the top 40 before. Just kind of a big, powerful lefty game, plays quick and flat, just takes your rhythm away. Denis Shapovalov, I was optimistic after a couple of rocky, disappointing tournaments post-Australian Open. He seemed to have found his form again, um, gets a tough first-round win over Martin Fuksovic, couple wins after that, and look, he served for the match in that third set against Vesley. It was 5-4. I think you'll know the point I will reference. 5-4, 30-all, long rally, sitting, forehand swinging volley right up at the net and into the net, and for me, he makes that shot. He's going to win this match. He'll be in the final. Yeah, that was a that was tough. I was watching that. I was I was at home and I yeah, it was like to me it was just like that point was over. Like it was like it was like it was like re, if you watch it back, Vesley didn't run back in the court for it, and uh, it's shocking miss. And then that's just such a frustrating loss for Shapovalov because it's it's a tough one because yeah, you think you're gonna play Djokovic and then that's a great opportunity for Shapovalov, and then you're playing Vesely who's the qualifier and you just now all the pressure is on Shapovalov to win that match because he yeah. he technically should win it and i'm not even going to do air quotes he should win that match because it he, I, the thing is he's still 22 and there's that there's that aspect of like the men you know the pressure of of what i just said can affect you big time but vesely is also playing at a high level clearly and he's he's a dangerous player and these are lightning fast courts in dubai so it can it can hurt you um but yeah after winning the first set in the tie break chapeau you know served for it like you said and it's just like He's, I just know that just knowing his mentality of where he wants to be in tennis, like that loss hurts so much for him. And I'm, 
hoping that he'll be able to bounce back quickly and have, an, have a, a, you know, a reasonable result at Indian Wells because as an athlete myself, it would just be so painful to lose a match after serving for it like that. And not even just serving for it, just having basically the match on your racket mm-hmm. um, and just kind of, you know, that point was a choke. I'm not saying it was a whole total choke job, but it was like that point was a, yep. just craziness, you know? And, um, and uh, he wants to break through so bad and he's fiery and he's got the passion. Like he's got a lot of like, energy out there and it can you know he can get negative sometimes but it's similar almost like that point when he he had the first set almost in the bag against Djokovic at Wimbledon right he missed like a pretty shocking point easy forehand yeah easy forehand and that would have set up set point you know what I mean the same same kind of scenario and and uh he was crying after that match and I I know I meant I talked to him after that match or after after that tournament he just believed he had a lot of belief he has a lot of belief in himself that he can he can beat guys like Djokovic and Nadal and he and win slams and like he hasn't, he's just pushing still and it's, it's, it's frustrating for him, but I, if I could talk to him, I'd, you know, I just encourage him to obviously keep just doing the right things because he's in the right places and his game's there. It's just obviously a tough loss for him to, 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 to Vesely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take the positives uh, and glass half full approach that at least he did make the semifinals and ran off the string of wins to get there because we had seen the struggles before Rotterdam early exit. Um, So in a way, getting back on track and, and just get get that winning feeling again that he did enjoy in Australia, getting to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Had it, of course, at ATP Cup as well, alongside Felix. They both played awesome tennis. So I, I feel like his tennis is trending in, in the right direction. Hopefully he uh, you know turns the page quickly on this one. Quickly, just getting to Novak Djokovic, who, who lost, as I said, to Yuri Vesely. How do you evaluate, I guess, first tournament of 2022? Beats Musetti first round, uh, compelling, great second round match with uh, Karen Hatchinov, of course, a great player. They played a, a tough two sets, six three seven six before before losing. Um, do you see any dips in his form? Like, how did Novak look to you from when you watched? Uh, just a little. Obviously, you're going to be a bit rusty. Just a little bit match soft. The the conditions. A guy like. A guy like Vesely, uh, how much power he has on He has a huge serve, right? We, we, it's kind of like a – and he's got a big serve, lefty serve, lefty in general, and very fast courts there. It kind of reminds me of like a Nick Curios loss in Acapulco back yeah, in 2017 where it's just like the puncher's chance, and the puncher's chance gets higher the quicker the courts are. And Jaziri was able to – the weird thing was just – I keep wanting to say Jaziri, um, sorry, Vesely <laughs> was able to stick with Novak in those rallies and, and hit through the court. And like, and it, that was weird to see for me because it's like, clearly Novak has so much more class from the baseline and he's a good, fa- obviously a good fast court player, but it seemed like Vesely was able to hurt him a lot more than Novak probably expected. And uh, I didn't expect Novak to get broken as many times as he did because uh, his serves become absolutely elite. So yeah, just a bit of rust from Novak nothing to be concerned about i don't think going forward into the into the slams or anything we saw that last year he honestly had a pretty average year outside of the slams like he just won three of the three of the the tournaments but he lost like in, in smaller tournaments two guys so sure for his general form he'll be fine he just needs to play and that's what you all have to see yeah yeah uh exactly and i, I think that second match against hatchinov he, he honestly played a very good match uh, before mm-hmm. losing i'll shift over to the wta side where we had the qatar open and igas fiontek she was not on my radar to win this title i must admit i was looking of course at annette contivate has been unbelievable these past six months at wta tournaments and she got into her seventh 
WTA final over the last six months, which is an incredible statistic for her, the, the great tennis she's playing. But um, Sviatek just uh, having, I think, this all-court game, of course, she was one of the few players I view at, and I, I think like her game suits clay, but the way she's been able to translate it now to hard court, she moves so well and just ran off some great wins in, in Qatar here. Uh, starts off with a tough one against uh, Victoria Gulabich, who's a talented player. Then Kasakina out Sabalenka, beats Zachary, and then Contave. Just a really impressive tournament, and she has some big titles now to her name in her very young career. Totally. Yeah. She, you know, she's an absolute beast and, and this, yeah, like root, you know, sometimes the score, I wasn't actually able to watch the final either, but sometimes the score line doesn't lie, but six, two, six, six zero is a pretty, pretty convincing there with the bagel. And it, yeah, like definitely a tough route. Maria Zachary in the, in the semifinals, uh, Sabalenka in the quarters. So yeah, she's, yeah. Like you said, she's got big titles, big, uh, big furs to her name on her mantle there with the French open and, uh, and, you know, Qatar now and, and other big tournaments. So she's she's definitely one of the most exciting young players on the WTA, which is full of exciting young players right now, like Annette Contivate. Um, So, yeah, it's a, it's a great time for the WTA, I think. And, you know, syncing up a little bit more with the ATP kind of schedule and point system. It's uh, I'm excited this 2022 year, I think, with Layla uh, will be one of the best or and already has been a great 20 or WTA season so far with uh, Ash Barty coming out on top in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, a great start her, her winning her home event and yeah. Iga now with four titles, two of them are the WTA 1000s. She won in Rome uh, last year in 2021, okay. double bageling uh, Carolina Pliskova in that final, if I recall, which was a dominant display. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it cannot yeah, happen so, in the final. No. Um, we'll see, I guess what she can do at Indian Wells in Miami, but for me, she's definitely again, like a big time threat when Roland Garros comes along. I think if you're shortlisting contenders on the women's side of who can win Roland Garros, she certainly has to be right up there. I just want to mention, this was our first week of the tennis uh, Canada bracket challenge. If you hadn't, haven't signed up, uh, you can still make an account and join because, uh, We'll play again for Indian Wells, which is upcoming in Miami Open. But credit to Matins, uh, the number one player who finished uh, first with 147 points, winning the week at the Qatar Total Energies Open. So uh, congrats right to Matins there. Well done. Uh, just wanted to mention upcoming, we have uh, later this week, Davis Cup tie action. Team Canada will face Netherlands. It's an away tie for Canada. They'll be on clay and they're sending Braden Sturr. Peter Polanski, Steven Diaz, and Alexi Galarno uh, set to make his debut. So this is an uphill battle for Canada, I think, because they, they don't have their big guns there. But um, I'll shift over to the Monterey Open because Leila Annie Fernandez, you know, Stephen, before we started recording, we are talking about, like, we haven't really seen her make, play much tennis at all in 2022. And here's a place. It was the site of her first career title last season. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm excited to see her back on court like you said, we haven't seen her play a lot, which is, I mean, it's only, well, it's March now, basically. So it is yep. surprising that we've seen her play, I think one lead up tournament lost, I think her first match there. And then lost in the first round at the Australian open, unfortunately. Uh, I talked a lot about that, thought a lot about that. The pressure that gets put on her after getting the final of the U S open and then just announcing all these big deals with sponsors right before the Australian open, a lot of pressure in that first round match versus a hometown girl in Maddie Inglis. Right. Who ended up having a great run and turns out to be a super solid player. And, you know, I actually had some fans texting me, Australian fans 
or messaging me on Instagram saying, you know, this Maddie English girl is like, actually, she's a real deal. She gets her ranking. She hasn't able to been able to convert on the, you know, the WTA yet. Um, but it's not really that bad of a loss actually for, for Fernandez. It's just the ranking was different on paper, mm-hmm. but in reality, the pressure on Fernandez made it like almost like an uphill battle for her to win that match, unfortunately. So excited to see her get back on court and yeah, defend a title, which is a pretty amazing thing to do as still, she's still 19, right? She's 20 now. Uh, no, no, sorry. She's 19. No, she turns 20 later this uh, later this summer. And uh, okay. c- cool aspect of this event, her younger sister, who just recently turned 18, uh, she fell in qualifying, but the two have teamed right. up to play doubles. So uh, she'll be playing alongside her sister, Bianca Jolie Fernandez in doubles at this event here as well. And she's seated second at the bottom half of the draw. And um, we posted that draw on Matchpoint Canada, our Twitter page. Pretty navigable draw, I think, for Layla Fernandez, Anna Carolina Schmidlova first round. Then you have Kalinskaya, Sloane Stevens, who uh, is coming off already a finals appearance this past week. Um, Madison Keys on the lower half. She had a great run, of course, in Australia. So we'll see if she keeps it going. But I, I think it's a nice mm-hmm. draw for Layla to kind of at least get her feet wet and, and notch some match wins for, for 2022, because I believe she started her, her season in Adelaide. She won one match loss and then right. the early exit yeah. in Australia. So I think it's a good opportunity for her um, to pick up some wins and just be back in inside a familiar place where you hoisted the first, first trophy of your career. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to see, you want to, you always want to get like a few match wins in a row under your belt to get some momentum because as people know, tennis is such a big momentum and confidence sport. So, uh, yeah, for Layla, it's, I think it's a good opportunity there. Uh, I have not heard of the player that she plays in the first round. Um, and then, yeah, she has a possible, you know, Sloan Stevens and Madison keys matchup in the bottom half, which would be great matches, which I am uh, looking forward to watching. So, yeah. And that's a great, yeah, like you said, great opportunity for her younger sister, uh, to play doubles with her. Um, just to be, you know, I think in that, you know, Layla's a top player now. It's like just to be in that kind of competitive zone and see how people warm up, you know, just get the reps on court playing against against strong WTA players is is valuable experience for sure. Yeah, 100%. She's been mainly playing uh, ITFs, Bianca, and uh, not Bianca Andrescu, mind you, Bianca Jolie Fernandez, who uh, currently ranks number 900. So uh, a ways to go and she'll keep competing and rising through the rankings. We'll watch her. Hope mm. we can have her on the podcast at some point. Steven, it's great yeah. to have you on the podcast, co-hosting for Mike. Uh, we appreciate your insights and analysis. Always a, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining me this week. Thanks for having me on, Ben. I appreciate the opportunity and I love what you guys are doing at Matchpoint Can. Definitely my favorite Canadian tennis podcast. We appreciate the kind words. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada, guys. We will talk to you next time. I get up in the evening And I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed